Blog Talk Radio. State of Arizona versus Jody Ann Arias, verdict count one. We, the jury, duly impaneled and sworn, and the above entitled action upon our oaths do find the defendant as to count one, first degree murder, guilty. I've been in the right place, but it must have been the wrong time. I'd have said the right thing, but it must have used the wrong line. I've been on the right trail, but it must have Good evening. This is Clear and Convincing with Michael Carnahan and Lisa O'Brien where we explore the most infamous cases in our country's history based not on the court of public opinion, but from the perspective of the courts. This time the court will read the verdict. On count one, the verdict reads as follows. We, the jury, find the defendant, Stephen A. Avery, guilty of first-degree intentional homicide as charged in the first count of the information. Good evening, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Clear and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, and Michael Carnahan from Little Rock, Arkansas. For most of the United States, today is Cinco de Mayo, a holiday adopted from Mexico, which celebrates the Mexican Army's victory over the French forces of Napoleon III at the Battle of Puebla on May 5, 1862. For three families, today marks 27 years since the murders of Steve Branch, Chris Byers, and Michael Moore in West Memphis, Arkansas. Tonight, we're talking to Roberta Glass, host of Roberta Glass True Crime Report, and Meredith Elizabeth about the recent documentaries aired on Oxygen and ID, the Innocence Narrative, and some of the information about the case that these documentaries left out. We are a live show, and as always, calls are welcome. Our phone number is 347-989-1171. And good evening, Michael and Roberta. And is good Meredith here? Uh, Meredith is not in yet. Uh, definitely okay. glad to be here, though. Uh, uh, yet again, I mean, uh, we were talking about this, and Lisa, I know you got a little heated at me before we <laughs> went on the air here, but uh, definitely, I mean, this is one of those things that I learn more and more every time we touch on the West Memphis story. I learn more and more about it every single time, and it's definitely interesting. I mean, I watched the – I'll tell you right now, I watched the ID. I know you watched the Investigation Discovery – or I watched the Investigation Discovery. Oxygen. You watched the Oxygen. And I'll tell you right now, honestly, there wasn't much information that was put out there in those three episodes that I hadn't already seen, except for the couple of things that I mentioned to you. Uh, I believe the gentleman, which you – you know, you knew about him right away, but the gentleman who uh, drove the ice cream truck that uh, that 
Miss Kelly was given a polygraph that he supposedly passed, and of course the uh, third thing. But we'll get on to that when we get uh, when we get into it in the uh, outline. But like I said, there wasn't much information that wasn't already out there that that my show gave. Right, and that's pretty much the same with the oxygen, even though it's supposed to be a from the ground up investigation. But we'll get into that a little bit later. I was about to say, wasn't one of them? I know when I talked to uh, Brad last night when I was uh, doing when I was producing his show, uh, he said something about one of the shows was supposed to have put out some earth shattering new evidence or some shit, and he said it turned out to be nothing or something like that. Yeah, pretty much. So, and Roberta, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, Can you hear me? How okay? are you feeling? Yes. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. I'm so okay. sorry. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Lisa. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is just incredible. You know, it's just so funny to hear like another one of these shows coming up with like earth shattering evidence. It turns out to be nothing. I mean, is it, isn't that the way it always goes, right? Was oh, it, yeah. it yeah. been... supposed to have solved this case? I mean, really? It's exactly. been 27 years. Exactly. What else can you – and this case has been combed over for the past 27 years. What else can you find that is going to just bust everything wide open at this point? Kind of like we talked about OJ. There's really nothing left in OJ you can look at and find something new in. Right. Right. And, and this right. is like a very, very, very different than most cases because – up until when Hollywood got involved and started selling the public on a bunch of, you know, ridiculous stories and trotting out Damien Eccles as if he were a normal, normal person, a guy just railroaded, and all three of them were just misunderstood because they were black and selling the story. Up until then, everyone had kind of agreed that they were guilty. Two, two juries had convicted them. And once these documentaries started coming out, that's when the tide turned. And these were activist documentaries, and that, that created the mold of which all of the rest of this is built, which is well, a half a business, half an activism for the innocence movement or the wrongful conviction movement. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, you know, I, I understand because I was fooled by it myself. You know, documentaries used to have sort of like, you know, um, what do you call it? A set of rules that everybody uh, followed by, and obviously you had a point of view. Um, but they, these these um, filmmakers were embedded in the defense, um, and had uh, a, and you can see the difference between the first one and the second one, really, Absolutely. very clearly, where they started, you know, pointing a finger at one stepfather, mm-hmm. then by the third they're pointing a finger at another stepfather. And no one stops to think, like, well, you know, A, what are the chances? When has a, a crime ever been committed by a stepfather like this? And, and two, you know, w- wait, I thought it was the other guy. We were totally convinced he was, uh, he filled he mm-hmm. the polygraph because he was on drugs. Remember the end of the second one? And oh, yeah. my best friend still is at the second one, still thinks the first stepfather did it because he's not up to date, hasn't gone to the third one yet, you know, been fooled by the third one yet. So, I'm kind of, um, you know, once you show people how the magic trick is done, 
and you explain it to them. Well, they said they had DNA evidence. They were going to show it in court. Then they and then they didn't. Then they asked to plead guilty. Sort of like took that back. It's a very Hollywood story. It's 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 the most Hollywoodized true crime story that I know of. Well, and that's one thing I want to ask. I, well, I do have a couple questions on this just based upon what the ID thing did come up. But one thing I want to ask you, Roberta, is because you mentioned – you hit on something specifically that I noticed in the ID special. It seemed like it was not a minor something until the Paradise Lost came out, but it seemed like it was pretty much the South is who knew about it but then you go you know right. and paradise lost kind of exploded it nationwide uh do you think though once we actually got new eyes on it that that's why possibly that maybe we were looking at it almost like with a bias ourselves that you know hey they were guilty they were freaking in a court found guilty multiple times etc cetera, etc cetera. Right. paradise do you think that that's once we got new eyes on it, that's when people were like, "Hey, this doesn't exactly look look right, and this doesn't exactly look right." So that's when it started, well, or was the rumblings of it before even Paradise Lost? Well, I'll tell you, coming from uh, my father was a screenwriter. I was around that environment my whole growing up, my whole life. My godmother's an actress. Her daughter's an actress. I understand Hollywood very well, and I don't think it clears anything up. Its motivation is to to make money, sell a story, make the most palatable, exciting story for the public, and the courtroom is the exact opposite of that. You have rules. You have um, ways that you can present information that's balanced, so you you have to present both sides. You can't just have the prosecution stand up and, and show their side. You have to have the defense. You have to also be under oath <laughs> to give testimony. There's all sorts of, you know, very strict rules, but there's not for making documentaries, and there's certainly not for PR. And this case is also an incredible win for, for the amount of propaganda and PR in our country. And, and you know, I, under, I, I don't I don't blame people for being fooled by it, but once you sort of show them this is what happened, here are the documents, here's how it went down. Ms. Kelly, this is not one confession. This is like seven confessions. They all confessed at one time or another. You know, I was looking at the Slenderman case today, and everyone, you know, the 12-year-old dog, a girls who killed their friend, and everyone understood that the, in the comments section that these girls were disturbed. Mentally disturbed. They are nothing compared to Damien Eccles, especially Morgan Geyser. Nothing compared to Damien Eccles' mental health history. 500 pages, setting fires, uh, killing animals for fun, uh, stalking, stalking underage girls, scaring, scaring his own family so much that they were afraid to have him in the home for fear for what he would do to the children, other children in the home. Every, you know, right. Instead, he's trotted out as some kind of dreamboat, uh, you know, occult philosopher and sold to the public like he's, you know, Prince Charming. And people are eating it up. It's a better story. It's a, this is a better story that they were wrongly convicted. Fortunately, there's not a bit of truth in it. You know, well, I'm, he was a disturbed, really disturbed, scary person and still is. And I'm, I'm, I'm sad that he's living in New York. <clears throat> 
I would agree with that statement. I mean, there's obviously more money in, hey, these guys are innocent than, hey, we got it right, yeehaw. You know, that's that's worth one movie. <laughs> that's absolutely right. worth one movie, not three. But uh, you hit on something else that I remember. It took me back to when I first watched them because I didn't get the, you know, four and I think 12-year difference in between one and two and then two and three. I watched them back to back to back. I think this was 2012. And I actually ended up kind of laughing uh, whenever I saw that they went from the complete opposite, you know, illegal U-turn from, you know, uh, uh, Byers to Hobbs. I was like, wait, what? Byers is all of a sudden their best friend? What's going on here? And Byers, let's face it, you know what I mean? Byers, at least they had like, oh, the cuts on the boys' bodies had to be done with medical precision, and he was a jeweler. Remember, remember, Lisa? Right, exactly. Uh, people were, were were trotting out that defense. That was at least something. But Terry mm-hmm. Hobbs, I mean, it, I, I hate to even use his name. It's so embarrassing and so punished. Yeah. And I really think it was chosen purposely because I think Damian Eccles and Baldwin get off on blaming these stepfathers and putting them through more pain and punishing them, you know, uh, through right. their, their sycophant fans. Um, you know, Terry Hobbs, is, it's a terrible, 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 terrible uh, choice. It's never been – and what uh, stepfather has ever killed his stepson and, three of his, and two of his friends in this manner? Ever. When has that ever Correct. happened? Ever. The and that's weird... something that ahead, that is something that infuriates me when these profilers come in and they well, and don't I... even bother to address the fact that these boys were not related to one another. The weird thing, right. Lisa and uh, Miss Class, that I noticed, and I'll get more into who he, who, what he said could have happened, but the weird thing is, at the end of the ID special, the uh, lead defense attorney, uh, I forget his name, but the lead defense guy, uh, well, said that you, he there does, is he, no, there is no is, lead defense guy. The one that represented. The one that represented Miss Kelly, what was his name? Uh, da, 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 Originally uh, in the trial, Dan Stidham. Dan Stidham. 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 Yeah, but see, and that's the thing. Dan Stidham's getting ready to sell a book. I was about to say, the interesting thing about Stidham was he kind of broke rank. He said that he didn't believe it was Hobbs, and we'll get into that when we get into my show, but or when we get into my area from what I watched on Investigation Discovery. But he uses right. what I told you earlier about the autopsy to say that it was – well, he didn't say anybody specifically. He just said it was a type of person. Can I talk about uh, he's probably still fixated general? on buyers. He's probably still fixated on buyers. He didn't even say buyers. He didn't say it was anybody that the boys knew. I and I'll Medical leave it at that. I know we're supposed to go by the outline, but he said he didn't say it was anybody the boys knew. He said it had more to do with the truck stop than anything. Okay, well, yeah, he's he's. You know, it's you know what the thing that that infuriates me the most, and I'm going to make this comment and statement, and then we'll move into the overview and talk about some of the topics 
is that they point to, quote, no evidence implicating any of the three killers. And yet they have all these theories with no conclusive evidence implicating anybody else. I completely agree with that statement right there. You know, it was kind of funny. Uh, it was kind of funny to me. Uh, Jason said something about uh, the whole situation with uh, Mark Byers, and he said it again, and I think he said it in Paradise Lost in the third one, where he was like, man, I couldn't find myself, or maybe it was Damien who said, man, I know what I went through, and I couldn't find myself accusing somebody else without any evidence. But, I mean, they've kind of been... And then they accuse Hobbs and say it's DNA that's the crime yeah. scene. Yeah, but then, speaking out of the other side of their mouth... percent sure it was Hobbs. Yeah. They were not... Eccles has posted multiple times on Facebook that Hobbs' DNA is at the crime scene. Oh, absolutely. Which isn't I mean, true. Hypocrisy here, for sure. There's some definite hypocrisy here. I can agree with that for sure. But, I, mean, I always say that that's, I mean, you know, it's interesting with, with West Memphis Three fans. You know, they're always making excuses for, for Damien Eccles. You know, um, Tuesday, just Money just did, sat in for me and did a great show on the West Memphis Three where she talked about Damien Eccles lying on the stand about Crowley. And why would he lie on the stand saying he wasn't a follower of Crowley? Then write, uh, I think he wrote a Rolling Stone article, or maybe it was Spin Magazine, saying I was uh, persecuted for my love of, of Crowley, you know, many years later. And that's the whole reason I was convicted. And why would he lie about Crowley? And I have people in the comment section saying, well, maybe he just didn't want to bring it up because it made him look bad. Yeah. Darn right it made him look bad. It was an assault motivated crime. And it made him look bad that he was that he was writing Crowley's name and Jason Baldwin's name and his son's right. name in a secret witchy language. Yeah, it does to, make you look bad. To be fair, Roberta, the, the the first thought in my mind was was his lawyers because and I could be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a minute since I've seen number one. But wasn't his lawyers trying to play him down? Like, didn't at one point he say, "Yeah, I'm a Catholic. I'm not. I'm not Wiccan." On the stand and oh, things like that. Like, weren't they trying to play it down? Weren't they trying to get him at least to play down the whole Wiccan and oh. uh, goth went, culture and things like that? Michael, he went crazy after he got released. It was like he let his freak flag fly. You know, <laughs> yeah. out as an occultist. But up until when he got released, he was a Buddhist. He had nothing to do with the occult. Never mind the five thousand books that he had in prison that he was reading all about the occult. You know, his whole right. life after being released from prison has been dedicated to the occult. And his followers would would say, "Oh yeah, he's a werewolf too. Ha ha. Yeah, he's a Buddhist. Oh, he has nothing to do with the occult. You're just as bad as the people in Salem." I mean, we would hear it, you know, oh, you're crazy, yeah. you're, you're crazy. And me as an atheist, you know, I've been called, you know, someone who's been blinded by my religion, my, my, my supposed, you know, Christian religion, um, because I... Are you Jewish? As I mean, what? Central, <laughs> central motivation what? of this crime. Wow. Weren't you raised Jewish? I was raised actually Quaker, but my dad, my father okay. was Jewish, but I am an atheist. 
So I'm not. Okay. I have no, I have no, I have no, you know, I think, I do think that the occult, I've never seen anyone improve by studying the occult. I find that it breeds narcissism at, at you know, at the least. But, <laughs> and, and most of those so, people already have enough of that. Without right. the occult. I don't believe that a person can become a god, and I don't think it's a good uh, goal for human beings, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, I just see this, like, again and again, whatever, whatever. Now it doesn't matter that he was into the occult. It doesn't matter at all. It had nothing to do with where his mind was at. Nothing he says matters. Maybe he meant this. Maybe he meant that. Maybe he was joking around when he was confessing to the softball girls. Maybe Miss Kelly felt guilty for something else. And, I mean, what, are these people living in, 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 on planet Earth? To be, right. fair, to be exactly. fair, I will say this, though. Uh, maybe that is being brought up because it seems like in the years since 93 – being a gothic person or being, you know, somebody into the occult or what have you isn't as people don't somebody who didn't grow up with that where it really was, you know, people I, I mean, I look at people weird whenever they're like that, but you know, there are it's become more accepted these days for that to happen. Not that there's anything wrong with well, it or what have you. I don't want people to get me wrong with it. People don't have 500 pages of a mental health, I'm sorry, Michael, of 500 oh, pages of a, of a scary mental health history either. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We're talking about very a very, true, very specific true. person and a very specific and, personality. And most people are not licking and sucking blood and clawing out people's eyes and setting fires and abusing animals and stalking underage girls. This is not, this is disturbed behavior and saying that they're homicidal and, um, excuse me. And, right. Um, and, and, homicidal and, and you know, suicidal ideation. Yeah. Suicidal ideation. These are, I mean, suicidal ideation is obviously normal for a teenager. He was, you know, 18 and he was hanging out mm-hmm. with kids much younger than he was interested mm-hmm. in girls way, way younger than he was. I mean, just, he was obviously a very, uh, he's a, he's a very sick and disturbed person and still is. But the problem with that is that, that. Ex- Exhibit 500 is ignored because I know it's hearsay, but I trust my source. Uh, John Fogelman... John Fogelman, the, one of the prosecutors, gave Bruce Sanofsky and Joe Berlinger a copy of Exhibit 500, which the prosecution got when James Moneypenny, the expert psychologist, testified during the punishment phase to try and to save Exhibit Eccles' life. what would Exhibit 500 be? That's what I'm asking. Those are the psychiatric <laughs> records. Okay, okay. The psychiatric records for his, I think, three admissions between May of 92 and uh, early 1993, as well as his treatment records from the East Arkansas Mental Health uh, Place, which has a visit on May 5th, 1993. Now, my legitimate question, though, is Wait, let me fin- let me finish. One one sec. I'm sorry. Um, 
they discount it because, A, they say it was all put together by Jerry Driver. <laughs> While some of the information in them was provided to the mental health facilities by Driver, there are a lot of statements directly from Eccles contained within those records that he made to a woman by the name of Sherry Dawkins between January of 93 and May of 93. Those are direct statements from Eccles. So the other way that they dismiss it is Baldwin has a story. Wait, wait, wait. Eccles has a story. Eccles' story Mm -hmm. is Jason Baldwin's attorneys put that together to Mm -hmm. make him look bad. Okay. Hmm. So, you know what? My, you know what it is, Lisa. It's the, mo- the most unluckiest man in the world. Really, to I know. read Eccles' book, he's the most unlucky man in the world. Uh, everything goes his the way. He has the same judge. The judge hates him. The town hates him. Everyone hates him for no reason. And when does that happen on planet Earth? Right. So, one and, thing I want to ask you guys, though, if we truly believe that Eccles is disturbed. Which, I mean, obviously, if there's 500 freaking pages worth of mental health evaluation, he's a little disturbed. But if we we do believe that, why the hell did they not go for a insanity or something like that rather than going the long road and saying he's just completely innocent? Well, that's what they were going for. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. Y'all, y'all, wait. Let me. Let me answer this because I can answer it very simply. Exhibit Mm -hmm. 500 is to show that he had mental problems that would lessen his culpability for the crime. Thank you. In an attempt to save his life. An insanity plea would require that he didn't know right from wrong. He didn't know what he did was wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's a very high burden to prove. Okay. Okay. I mean, he would have to basically... He would have to base and, – and also when you go for an insanity defense, you can't mm-hmm. really claim I didn't do it. Right. That's what you I'm saying. You have to why acknowledge that you did it. Rather than – why did they go the long road then? More, because they just – More likely than not, he would not admit that he did it. Okay. Okay. You know what it's uh, like, it's like if I, if my next door neighbor, you know, I live in an apartment building in Manhattan. If the next door neighbor hated my cat, was constantly complaining about my cat. I mm-hmm. killed my next door neighbor. They went on my phone. Every year I get like a million <laughs> nerdy cat gifts from people for Christmas. You know what I mean? And they mm-hmm. say, these don't mean anything. You know, you go on my iPhone now, it's like 100 pictures of my cat. And they'd be like, oh, she really wasn't just that much of a cat person. It didn't have any bad. Right. She liked her cats, but, you know, this wasn't a cat motivation killing. Do you know what I'm saying? When I right. writing, I am the devil. I am not a devil. I am the devil. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm here to do the devil's work. And I, I, I'm paraphrasing him now. Um, mm-hmm. I just did an episode with William Ramsey where he quoted him directly. Mm-hmm. You know, really obsessed quotes with um, him being the devil, doing the devil's work, the occult. And now he's, he's written an entire book on the occult. He considers himself a yeah. cult master. To say that this has nothing to do with it is absurd. When, you're, when these yeah. are eight-year-old boys, exactly the age that Crowley said will give you the most power, 
And, you know, there are, there are people who believe that it did give him power to get off death row, that this was, that this, that Hollywood came in and this is all some kind of, you know, product. I'm not one of them, but product of, you know, uh, his occult leanings and occult power and the devil. I, I'm not one of those people. I just think Hollywood and propaganda is very powerful in itself without the occult um, connected with it. But he's been very lucky. You know, the, the amount of people that get off death row is, is, is I think, less than 1%. Right. So, and yeah, I mean, motive is always going to be a state of mind. There's never going right. to be a a tangible piece of evidence that is going to prove it absent a note that says, I want to kill three little boys. Right. And I've always thought but this was a crime of opportunity. They were true. in the woods. That's the boys true. came in the woods. It got out of hand. Right. That too. That too. Um, but it's... And what, what the, do you think the, the robe was about, Lisa? The bathrobe I, that was Mike, brought to the scene. Michael Johnson, you know, Michael Johnson, Jesse may have been making stuff up. Uh, even uh-huh. when he was talking to Michael Johnson, Michael Johnson uh-huh. may have kind of tried to uh, make it look like he knew what he was talking about. You know, I don't know. Uh-huh. The only people who could answer that question would be Michael Johnson and Jesse Kelly. I thought the fibers matched those fibers. Am I wrong on that? Well, you know, it it may be that um, when Miss Kelly said something about fiber evidence and the robe from Baldwin's mother's robe, and that's another thing, the, they minimize the fiber evidence. They say it was just the fiber, one fiber from a robe. It was two or three of the rayon fibers, red rayon, mm-hmm. and then there were multiple green cotton polyester blend fibers that were similar to a shirt in Eccles' trailer. Yeah. So there yeah, were a I lot more. It was a lot more than a single fiber. Hmm. And now it's all degraded, so it's great. They can make up anything they want about it. So it's perfect. Correct. It's degraded, so it's not gonna it's not gonna the colors aren't gonna match and yeah. So they can they can re examine it. Do you get frustrated? Uh, Yeah, I do. I get incredibly frustrated. I do and that's why I've stepped so far away from it for so long. I mean, at one point, Michael and I were talking about doing a weekly, um, you know, weekly episodes for a period of time, just going over what we know about the case and what the court uh-huh. proceedings were, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I just frankly didn't have the, I just didn't have the, do- it took me three days to watch the oxygen show. Yeah. Because I I couldn't watch it for any length of time without getting frustrated at at it. But we'll again we'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> so because <laughs> um, we keep going off off a of field. But you know yeah I get frustrated. I've I've stepped away from it. I I think Sean Wheeler has pretty much he's gone. You know he's gone away. 
he's not going right, to talk about it ever again. There's a bunch of people who have sort of stepped back because they can't, they can't take it. It just becomes so, so frustrating. You feel, sometimes I feel like, Correct. you know, you're, 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 I think what's, what's, what's different about this case is that people make a connection because of the film with these teenagers, if they were teenagers who were felt that they felt misunderstood, which so many teenagers feel, they make a connection with Eccles or Baldwin or Miss Kelly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the films are great at doing that, making that connection. And that is so strong that their uh, ability to put blinders on and not look at anything else is, uh, is amazing. Correct. So they didn't really have to come up with a good suspect or a good alternative suspect. They, they, all they had to do was make that connection, and then they had the public. And if you look at, um, at Echo's interviews, they're incredibly similar. I mean, if you think he wasn't working from a script, you were so wrong. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, all of his interviews are so incredibly identical and similar. I was looking for quotes for a game to play with Ramsey. And it was so hard to find quotes that would fool him because you can immediately, if it's a woe is me quote, it's echo. You know, yeah. if I was beat up, I was tortured. I was something, I was wronged in some way. They were trying to murder me. <laughs> they were trying <laughs> to murder me. And, when, and, and the other <laughs> interesting thing about Echoes is how little he cares about anyone else, how, how singularly a focus he is on himself. And Mm -hmm. you would think that if you had gone through that experience, you would have, you know, an idea I would have, you know, work for justice in whatever way and be involved in other crimes. As far as the only other thing I've heard him speak uh, up about, besides for speaking up in front of Arkansas, um, uh, the Supreme Court in Arkansas, and I'll talk about that in a second, is when he when he read from that script for Dassey, which Amanda Knox also read, read from the same script. Obviously, they were either paid or convinced to do it. I don't know which. <laughs> you know, they both read for the same little commercial for Dassey, Brendan Dassey. But he hasn't mm-hmm. done anything for anyone else. And then he said when he was released that he would fight tirelessly to clear his name, and he has done nothing. I mean, is that not telling? I don't know what is. He is very happy being a convicted, twice convicted, triple child killer, you know, on probation. That's him. Mm-hmm. That's who's walking the red carpet, being applauded. It's, 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 right. it's, it's a sick world. I don't know. I, I so, totally agree. And it is. When, when he stood in front of the Arkansas Supreme Court, he said that the greatest people he met were on death row, that these were wonderful, fine, upstanding mm-hmm. characters. I, I, I mm-hmm. urge people to listen to what he said. He came with a very uh, inebriated Johnny Depp and said these, these were the greatest people that he ever met and much greater than the men who were trying to kill him. And just as a person who's like a lay person, me choosing between who I would befriend, someone on death row or someone who's a prosecutor in Arkansas, I would choose the prosecutor in Arkansas. Just a safer bet. Exactly. Just a safer bet. I, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I'd love to ask him about Mark Gardner out. now. What does he think of Mark Gardner? Does he miss him? <laughs> oh, it's absurd. And no one says anything. You would think that that would make a, make mm-hmm. a headline, you know. 
but it doesn't. Right. It just sort of goes in the down the memory hole. It's amazing though. They the, ignore the, it. The, the, yes. But what is going on with the press? Why can't you say this in the Why is mainstream media so afraid Be, of writing the story that they're guilty? Because journalism in this country and probably pretty much in the world is essentially dead. Mm-hmm. Now it's advocacy. We've we've talked to Bill Crawford and Marty Preeb on this show. Yeah. And it's advocacy. Well, I know the reaction from my family and and I don't think that they disagree with me about any particular case. They're just mm-hmm. you know, I come from a left wing family. Very I think the attitude is. I don't know. None of them listen to the show. Um they're just upset because it goes against the narrative that our justice system doesn't work. And uh, I'm not saying that it's perfect. I'm just saying, by and large, what I've seen of it, it works. It's not perfect. Nothing is in life. But it's pretty good. Unfortunately, the worst things that I've seen have been going to the Nexium trial and seeing what money can do when you get in there. And that's not something that the left is (laughs) taking up. You know, yeah. cases like O.J. Simpson and things like that, where just so much money gets involved, and they have such the advantage to make these deals that that you know you or I could not make. Right. Said, I don't understand though. It's just you would think that that side always says that they're from the little guy, the little person. And I said, well, you say you're for the little person. <laughs> you know, these are the kind of arguments I have. You say you're for the little person. The little person is the victim. Right? It's not right. the perpetrator. Exactly. It's, it's a mis- to me, it's such a, a misunderstanding of, of what the little person is and the victim's right. family, which is completely ignored by people like uh, Sister Helen Prasian. And, uh, unless unless yes. the victim's family joins your crusade. Right. And uh, then... They are beyond reproach, mm-hmm. and everything they say is gospel truth. That's true, too. That's true, too. And there's a great benefit for, for joining that, that other side, right? Well, I find it kind of cruel because when you have a family member who maybe has some doubt about the outcome, to play on that doubt, and work them up for the cameras mm-hmm. is despicable. We, I think there's also a great uh, disease we have with, with the punishing people just as human beings and what is compassion. And, you know, we don't like to see as Americans, we don't like to see people in prison. We value freedom above everything else, you know, and I think there is discomfort with seeing people punished sometimes. Yeah, for some people, but no, I'm certainly not one of them. I, I no, guess because I was I've, I've raised over that. <laughs> <laughs> if I if I had committed that. a murder, and my mother knew about it, she would have turned my ass in. She would have forced me to plead guilty whether I wanted to or not. She would have visited mm-hmm. me in prison. 
she would have still loved me. I would still be her daughter. But don't do the crime if you can't do the time. Yeah, can we talk about that? Just bring it back to the West Memphis Three, that part when Eccles says, um, bring in my mother and I'll tell you everything. Can you talk about that a little yeah. bit? During his interview, I think that was on May 10th, he mm-hmm. went down to West Memphis PD. He was being questioned. Um, I think he had taken a polygraph and been told that he failed it. And if I recall it correctly, he um, he did say, send me my mother, I'll tell you everything. He also said he was afraid of the death penalty. Yeah, so what are you afraid of? The At some point there? during that interview. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, hell, I'm afraid of the death penalty. I don't want to die, but I'm not saying anything. And, uh, I'm just saying I think everybody's want to be ending so, up on that end of the needle. And you know, if I and yeah, it's been sure. so long, and in trying to watch the the specials, I didn't look at any of the documents that I wanted to look at to prepare for this show. But um, it seems to me that you know the the door to door questions, the questionnaires, uh huh, that they were asking people. It seems like. Eccles' answers to those questions were suggested by the FBI to be ones that you would be looking at somebody who might have killed the kids. His his que- oh, his yeah. answers were his answers were not, you know, what do you think should happen? Death penalty. Well, I don't know. So, um, and that's another thing too that that. I probably was ignored in the ID special and definitely was ignored in the oxygen special. Yeah, I have no clue the about FBI, a FBI. Uh, I have no clue about a uh I this is the first I'm hearing about a uh a door to door what 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 was it called? I, I'm, it was the a word questionnaire. It was like 12 or 13 questions. Um I can I Why can would you find it on that, Callahan was and it send it to you. Was handed out by the tomorrow. police or the media? Like legitimately? Well, I'm wait, Why would no, 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 do no, that? no, no. Wait, 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 Michael. Did <laughs> sorry. I'm you, so you ask a question right and then you <laughs> and then you keep going. Um, okay. Initially, early in the case, they consulted the FBI behavioral analysis, behavioral profiling, whatever. It was kind of that Quantico was in the early stages. Okay. Because I think profiling had only been in use about, you know, four or five years by that point. Mm -hmm. They consulted, and I can't remember the profiler's name, but I can find it. Everything's done on the phone. There's no written record either by West Memphis PD or FBI. Okay. okay, but basically the detectives provide whatever information they've developed from the crime scene, whatever evidence they know about, which I think at the time this was done, none of the autopsies were back. None of the um, fiber or other trace evidence was back. So they provided all the information they had. The FBI gave them a verbal profile which suggested avenues for investigation. Uh 
which included Vietnam vets and mental patients. Vietnam vets? What the fuck? Yeah, Vietnam vets and mental patients. Um, they may have had some of the autopsy information. They may have they may have been able to provide the FBI with the emasculation of Chris Byers, the injuries to Steve's uh-huh. face, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that's who they got back from the FBI to the, hand it out to. Hey, the this FBI, like yeah, and, and better mental patient. Yeah, and I think the FBI even profiled it as someone in their thirties. They didn't profile it as multiple people. They didn't profile it as a parent, and they didn't profile it as teenagers. Hmm. So initially, the initial investigation was actually Vietnam vets and mental patients. And years ago, on the different discussion boards, there was all kind of brouhaha about the West Memphis PD obtaining mental health records for some of the suspects. Is that a problem? And how horrible that was and how evil the West Memphis PD was for doing that. Well, they were doing it to follow a lead, and it was pre-HIPAA. Okay, okay. So you couldn't do that today. So that is a no-no. In today's standards, you could you well say. no you could do it you could do it with a subpoena signed by a judge right okay 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 um, so it's you would not probably a have to well you can still like I said you can still do it you mm-hmm. would probably have to narrow it down to a specific person to a specific person or persons. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, you know, they were not, and that's the thing that that also aggravates the Dickens out of me is Eccles didn't become a suspect until they got multiple tips about him, and even then, nobody ever really thought to start looking at him until June third. Well, I was about to say, I noticed, though, that one thing that uh, the ID special did, uh, they actually threw out the and the threw out a completely different timeline of the investigation than I thought existed. I've spent all these years thinking it was, hey, dead bodies, hey, there's three boys, that's my three boys, you know, type of situation. But uh, when they threw this new guy in here, literally, when I texted you, that was the first I was hearing about this guy with the ice cream truck or whatever his name was. Christopher Morgan, yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk about that here in a second. I just – yeah, this is throwing – I didn't know that this happened. So this is just throwing my timeline of what – how I thought it went down just for a loop. Well, that's one of the – one of the most common things, and I think, Roberta, you can speak to this as well – in a lot of these pro-innocence narrative cases, context is lost. They present everything as though it happened in quick succession when, in a lot of cases, there are weeks or months between event A and event B. Oh, that's a, I would say some of that, but if you look at um, uh, I'm sorry. Um, if you look at the way that they 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 and I used to get pulled in by this. They pull out these defense paid um, experts like Jim mm-hmm. Clemente, which I will get to in a little bit, and uh, other experts 
<laughs> that were actually paid for by the defense. Um, and they're very convincing. And you say, well, who am I? I'm just Joe Schmo sitting at, at, on my couch in New York. What do I know? These are experts. And they're telling mm-hmm. you that I'm wrong. You know, I've just read the, the court documents in the case file. What do I know? They're telling me I'm wrong. But, you know, you look at someone like John Douglas who says, these kids were never in trouble, which is patently right. He starts off with yeah, the first thing that has to say. out of his mouth is wrong. Damien was right. Damien was on probation at the time, wasn't he? If I if I understood the show I watched yeah. today correctly, yeah, and he was on probation. Was petty, he got in trouble for petty petty theft. Miss Kelly got into fights, including fighting girls, I, punching girls he, in the face. Yeah, he, he, had, he attacked a girl in March of 1993 mm-hmm. for telling okay. people he was lying about sleeping with her. And she I was 13 years old. Like that's something that my mother works with with, with prisoners, uh, teaching them life skills as you know, uh, as just as a, a thing that she does. Uh, and she says to me, she said to me, uh, they have a saying in the prison, which is that they are all so good while they're in the prison. So you know, when Eccles is giving these interviews, he's in prison, and obviously he's acting. He has all these rules and all this. Um, what do you call it, structure, supporting him. Mm-hmm. So obviously he's going to act like, like look at those interviews, and you're like, oh, that looks like a more sane person. But when you read right. the 500 or even read some of the witness statements, this was not, and Baldwin was a shyer, a shyer guy, but when you read Miss Kelly's confessions, not one confession, many confessions, he was the coolest of them all, Baldwin. So, you know, all I can say is appearances can be deceiving. And uh, in the way that Eccles was presented to the public with, you know, shortcut hair, all, you know, they really worked really hard to keep him very clean cut until he got out. And then he, you know, um, changed on that. But I I guess I got off the topic, which was that you do lose contact between the experts. And as far as Bob Ruff, says, I don't believe anything anyone says. That's what Bob Ruff said one time, right? But he mm-hmm. takes everything Echo says is gospel. Oh, he's got, he's got an alibi. Well, those alibi right. were, were, were BTFO'd. He was BTFO'd, to use a young person's expression, on the stand. Like, get the, you know, F out of here with that alibi witnesses and your neighbors and 90210. It didn't work in real life, but it works on Bob Ruff. I mean, Bob Ruff is dumb enough to take a pizza recommendation from Eccles, and that's all I have to say, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, which I wouldn't even do. And um, so I, I just think that he is so far in the defense camp. He took the position that he's going to investigate this from the idea that they didn't do it. And anything pointing to the fact that they did it as God bless you, Lisa, for, for debating Bob Ruff, uh, you know, and, and still having your sanity after that, because my head would be <laughs> so big from being banged into the wall multiple times. Um, well, you, you, know, you noticed that just, the reciprocal, the reciprocal invite was, was um, rescinded. <laughs> of course, of course. More, because more he, he so because everything, of course. 
no, more so because when it aired um, and the Facebook comments that were basically personal attacks on me, not my stance or my opinions or the basis for my opinions. But, oh, listen to that voice. That's a horrible voice. I couldn't listen to that voice. That's a, That sucks. I thought I'm not gonna I'm not gonna invite these people to this platform. Oh, you did to, invite. Oh, you, wow. Oh, they were I so had rude. invited them, but well, I just people decided. People say that my voice is like nails on a chalkboard, Lisa, and my New York accent I, I, yeah. is, is unlistenable. So <laughs> I'd write with you. But you know, I just I didn't want that. if I'm a guest on that show, and this is how they, you know, look at me. I don't want them listening to this show. Right. Ever, you know, <laughs> because I'm not about quantity. I'm about quality. Yeah, and you're also you're a very serious reader of the court documents with with a long history uh, of expertise in that in that in that area, which is which you know amounts to nothing. I mean, if you really look at Bob Ruff's worldview, it's the idea that a layman can do a better job mm-hmm. than an expert. You know what I'm saying? Correct. So they don't Correct. have a lot of respect for for the system or the uh, people who are experts in their field, unless they're Jim Clemente or his brother. Then they're they're, they're unless then they're they all agree, you know, powerful. Unless they agree. right, right. exactly. I mean, it's the ultimate exactly. confirma- confirmation bias. And you know, my friend said the um, uh, Alexa, who I've had on a bunch of times, who was really she was a big fan mm-hmm. of Bob Ruff, big. An Saeed supporter who really had her mind changed and now views that movement as 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 really uh, as as a fraudulent movement. She said to me, she called me up and she goes, "You know what, Roberta, it is. It's Bigfoot. It's just like Bigfoot. You're ruining it." She's like, "This is like true crime entertainment, and it's all the mystery and all the fun." Well, if the West Memphis Three didn't do it, then it's got to be some unknown person out there, kind of like Bigfoot, and you're ruining it for them by giving the reality. <laughs> you know, there's a certain segment of true crime people who, true crime enthusiasts who don't want reality. They want fantasy. They want the impossible, you know, crimes that don't ever really happen in real life. You know, and high right. drama. Right. It's kind of true. You know, there really is a lot of truth in that. There's, you know, I mm-hmm. hate to ruin, I mean, this is no fun that three, uh, three boys kill brutally, brutally murdered these eight-year-olds for no reason. But their right. own, but their own psychopathy and, and frustration with the world and anger. I, I, and and in some ways, uh, you know, Echo's belief that would make him a super, you know, closer to being a god. That's my opinion on right. it. Right. It's not everyone's opinion. It may not be your opinion. That's my opinion. It's part thrill kill, part no, I, motivated crime. I I do. You know, I agree. I mean, and you know, the thing is, affair. because, and we've seen Eccles. He's been doing this for years and years and years. He paints himself as public enemy number one in West Memphis and Crittenden County, Arkansas, when the truth of the matter was, aside from being on Driver and Jones's radar, because he committed a crime as a juvenile, nobody really knew who the hell he was. Interesting, yeah. 
Well, you in know? his mind, he said, he said I, I, can you say right that I always knew I was going to be famous? And he, and he yeah. gave that interview where he said, I knew I was going to, he was sort of happy mm-hmm. to be famous for killing three yeah. kids. And who is happy to and he be was, famous for, for yeah. killing three kids? And he, he was going to be the West Memphis boogeyman for years. You know, from now on, kids are going to look under their bed for the West Memphis boogeyman. Mm-hmm. He was thrilled with that. He had a smile on his face when he said that, but they they toned that down in Paradise Lost too. Yeah, they sure did. You know, and now they pretend he didn't say it. Or they pretend it, it doesn't mean anything. And yet the again, there's the hypocrisy. You know, they take something Terry Hobbs said and see, look, that means he killed him. Because the hair, the hair, the hair, and yet they don't they don't do that for Eccles. Well, Terry Hobbs was no, an adult, it, so was Eccles. Eccles was Eccles eighteen. In, and when Eccles gets caught in a lie, it doesn't matter, Lisa. Yeah, it doesn't matter. The lie doesn't matter. Anyone would do that. He had a good reason to lie. It's normalized, right? <laughs> it's just very. I guess I just have gotten to the point of of being very frustrated. Uh, arguing this case uh, with people who can't hear it, you know, who just mm-hmm. uh, who minimize everything. And if you go about life not willing to to actually look at the other side, hear the side, you are, you know, and you're duped by it, then that's, you know, I feel kind of like I'm out of it at that point, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what more I can yeah. say. I've said my, my, my piece. I've tried to explain it very slowly and carefully how it was all crafted and done and put together. And it's, it, this is really the blueprint of which Adnan Syed's whole innocence thing campaign was based and serial was based. Right. This was the beginning. And I'm sure it started even farther back, you know, um, Gary Meese is going, you know, back a hundred years, but, as far as like HBO and cable and the using of the documentaries. And I was very mm-hmm. interested when I read the um, complaint. Um, now I'm sorry. I'm not at my best from the central part, Linda Berenstein, her complaint uh, against okay, uh, yeah. Netflix. And she mm-hmm. wrote, you know, when they see us wasn't a documentary. And I said, you should thank God that that when they see us wasn't a documentary because they could have done just as much damage <laughs> with a yes. documentary as they did with a fictionalized dramatization. Mm-hmm. You know, boy, but people are treating it like a documentary. Yeah, I've seen it described as a documentary. It's a documentary, but documentaries are just as uh, just as loose with the truth uh, and leave out. You know, you know that like you know a lot of these documentaries leave out half the evidence. Anything that doesn't look good, that doesn't leave enough mystery. You look at the staircase; they leave out the red neuron. You know, mm-hmm. and anything that sort of really cements the case and, and, and pushes you to the side of guilt, they'll, they'll leave out because it's much better right. to have the audience not knowing and, or be on the side of innocence. 
Either one is a win for the filmmaker, and that's going to sell tickets, or that's going to right. see people watching it or, and recommending it. Nobody wants right. to believing see that guy convicted. Yeah, you either want them to believe the case is unsolved, right, or that it's a wrongful conviction. And, and I didn't know. I mean, the first the first uh, thing I ever recorded, I believe, or one of the first things I ever recorded was. I called it West Memphis Resolved, and I didn't understand that that would push so many people to listen to something that I consider a cringeworthy presentation of my, you know, my thoughts on the subject. But, you know, people really think this thing is unsolved. When they, they, right. they pled guilty, it's over. It is over, guys. They, and the yeah. fact that they're not going around looking for the killer, wake up. I mean, I, I worry for some of these people. Are they going to get into a cult? Are they going to get into a scam? <laughs> they're like, are they going to get hit by a truck crossing the street? Cause, <laughs> yeah, crossing the street because they don't know how to use a crosswalk. Right. I mean, what, what are you living on planet Earth? I don't know anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, what Earth are you living with? I mean, do you believe everything out of a con artist's mouth? I mean, it's up to you. Right. It, it's really up to you. And how can you not tell? after about the fifth interview with Eccles where he's saying the same thing time and time again. Every, the whole world, every, all, all the, everything went against the guy. All, mm-hmm. all luck went against him. Everyone was against him for no reason. They just didn't look like the look of his face, and they voted to convict him. And I've even had people in my comment section write that there was no evidence. They, right. they were convicted exactly. with no evidence. Well, that's a short trial. Well, they mm-hmm. just bring up the black T-shirt and say, we have no evidence, Your Honor, and everyone votes mm-hmm. to convict, to give Eccles the death penalty, because that's how people are. They don't want right. you know, that's a, that's a light decision for them to vote to convict on a death penalty case. Right. <sighs> and Sorry, um, Lisa, you really got me. No, no, that's quite today. all right. No, I, I, I love it. I do. I mean, what are we I, talking about? It makes me feel so great. good that I'm not alone. True. <laughs> but True. there you are, are other people out there like me who see things the way that I see them. Well, I was fooled. I'm not, you know, I didn't, I didn't watch Paradise. Some people watch Paradise Lost and were instantly knew they were guilty. I was not one of them. I was fooled. I will tell you, I mm-hmm. was fooled. You know, I, I had no idea. Everything I read, everything I looked at, people have no idea back, you know, uh, right around the time, right before they released and right after, the, the glowing press that these West Memphis 3 got. You would not even see the tiniest little speckles of, unless you went no. on, like, I guess, the boards, places I wasn't on, you know. Everything was mm-hmm. all about how they were railroaded, they were given these... Uh, interviews that were wildly, you know, favorable and soft interviews. Uh, the the hardest interview they got was on The View. So I didn't know. And until I heard Ed Opperman's program, and, and I thought, but it's a very different, I thought, wow, I'll have to look into that. So I read the documents. I read Ramsey's book. I read the case documents. I read the case files, and I looked at the other side. I had already heard the defense side. All I had had my whole life with the defense mm-hmm. side, I read, you know, I read the prosecution side, and it was 
it was so clear to me what had happened, but uh, with that case, and it's a very tricky, complicated uh, combination of PR, Hollywood, um, right, and, and sort of propaganda. I don't know what you call it? Propaganda. Propaganda. That's all I can say. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, you know, um, so I'm, I'm not like some, I think I've gotten, the more you, you, you look at these documentaries and the more you look at these kind of presentations, the savvier you get. Well, what happened there? What ha- you know, you sort of kind of freeze at moments mm-hmm. and you say, they'll sort of kind of gloss over something and you'll kind of fixate on it. Um, right. But, you know, I listen more carefully now. I feel like also these, if you think that it's not important what people say when they talk, then you'll never really listen. And and I don't think people are listening to Baldwin, who said, there's a great um, clip that Ramsey put together where Baldwin is saying, well, we shouldn't put people away for life for making a mistake. And he called, and he's really mm-hmm. obviously referring to himself. And saying what I did was a mistake when I was young. He called killing three children a mistake. Mm-hmm. I would call it much more than that, but I think it's very telling. And and right. if you if you don't think that what people say is important, then 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 it will then it will go over your head. But if you really right. listen to these guys, they have pled guilty, and they haven't looked for the killer but once. They. That, at that press again, we the, work tirelessly to clear our name. I'm sorry, Lisa. Go ahead. They, they're aided and abetted by the the media, uh, which presents the Alfred plea as something they were forced into by the prosecution in order to gain their freedom. Um, one of the things that 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 incenses me is comparing it to the Salem witch trials. That is Mm -hmm. incenses me because yes, in the Salem witch trials, the alleged victims were just putting on a show and a lot of innocent people came to a very horrible end uh, because of these people. Although I think karma eventually took care of them, but these were three real living, breathing children and they were really beaten and two of them were really mutilated and they were really killed and then they were stripped naked and their bodies were placed in a ditch mm-hmm. where they were found the following day it was and nearly a month do when he got in the I'm sorry go ahead it was it was only a month before they were even arrested. So in that time, West Memphis P- PD followed a lot of leads. I don't think record keeping and documentation was as strict, let's say, or as overdeveloped as it is today. Mm-hmm. I mean, you didn't have computers doing everything. People were still handwriting right. reports and handwriting notes, and and you know there was I think a little bit of discretion about mm-hmm. what you noted and what you didn't. Um. So that is 
you know, that's, but we're judging, we're even judging the investigation based on the standards now and not the standards at the time. Well, I was listening to you and Michael argue about the investigation, and that's something I'm very uncomfortable doing, criticizing the investigation, because it's a job I haven't done. And unless Correct. I see glaring errors, you know, and uh, I, I don't understand the pressures about I, You know, mm-hmm. I watch some of I watched some of these TV shows who've done it. I think, oh my gosh, thank God I don't have to solve solve that crime. You know, the pressure of of solving it, and I I think they did a fairly good job. Now, that's of course because yeah. I think they're guilty. Now, if you, I had a different stance, maybe I would see it differently. I can understand. No one is perfect. They're under incredible strain and pressure. But unless I see some glaring, and I think there's an, an idea with this. Um, now this criticism on the re-technique that, uh, you know, just living in New York and, you know, you bring someone in and you say, uh, did you do it? And they say, no, I had nothing to do with it. I think some of these supporters think that the police should say, okay, great. Thanks for coming in. Nice to meet you. Exactly. And ask nothing Exactly. Else. You know, like what are your standards? And well, they asked him again. He had already said no twice. Oh, right. And no, it, twice. Exactly. And clearly, had nothing to do with it. Like there were and some of these, and then these guys get caught in a hundred lies. So I, I don't know. Yeah. What, I, I don't know what their standards are. What would they suggest? Put them in a warm and bath. That's another, and even with Amanda Knox, when she fed tea and cookies, they think that's some kind of torture before her horrible interrogation. Mm-hmm. You know. That, that that was a, the beginning of a torture. She was offered snacks from the right. vending machine and tea, and that's the beginning of some torturous investiga- uh, you know, interrogation. So what is their standard of a fair interrogation? What is it? Right. What would they like exactly. them to ask? How would they like it to be done? Well, that's the other part that incenses me because, again, they invariably bring in the retired homicide detective who says, oh, this was all kinds of wrong. But they never say what should have been done instead. Right. And for if they were to say he initially denied it, they should have cut him loose. I'd know the motherfucker's lying. Because <laughs> I know you didn't. I know you didn't let people loose just because they said they didn't mm-hmm. do it when you thought they had. Come on. Right. I mean, I was born right. at night, but not last night. Right. <laughs> Exactly. You know. I think also, I notice a lot of these supporters are young, and they're also women. So mm-hmm. is there something about women that we're uncomfortable with, with seeing, especially men punished and denied of their freedom, that they, can't, they don't want to relate to victims? I, I, I don't understand. I they want to be in the sort yeah. of more aggressive, relate to the more aggressive person. Or Have you thought of that? I don't know. I know I I didn't find out about – I read about the case when it initially happened um, and when the three were initially arrested, but then I kind of didn't hear anything more after that. And then I found Paradise Lost. I was in my 30s, and I immediately went to the Arkansas Direct Appeal Opinions and mm-hmm. saw, well, the claims of no evidence aren't true because 
physical. You know, fibers are physical evidence. And they're right. not meant to be conclusive. They don't have to be conclusive. You're you're confusing weight and admissibility. And that's also, often, that's the other thing that that kind of gets to me is people who don't have any idea about the legal system saying what should or should not have been done in the trial, what should or should not have been done by the appellate courts. Right. And you they don't have, no you don't have a clue. You don't know what you're talking about. Do they use the word hearsay? That, that <laughs> you're bringing up hearsay? That's what they like to, to say in the comments. Well, my, yeah, they they do episode. unless and it's I, they like to unless it's Joe hearsay a lot. Yeah, un, <laughs> unless it's Jolyn Hicks telling you know Bob Ruff what Stevie told her, mm-hmm. and unless it's you know Pam's mama talking about stuff Stevie told her about Terry abusing him. And then it's not hearsay. Mm-hmm. You know, then there's an exception to that hearsay. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, the softball girls are not hearsay because yeah. they heard the statements directly. And mm-hmm. the statements were made by Eccles, who was a party. Mm-hmm. So that was an admission against of- interest, not hearsay. What do you think of the tape of uh, the person calling the West Memphis PD and saying, I'm the one who killed the three boys? Do you think that's echoed? Uh, you know, I've, I have, I listened to it a long time ago. I don't really hear it. Mm. Um, I, I will find it and listen to it again and let you know. But I really don't. I really don't hear it. That's interesting. Yeah, to me, I I I I think it sounds exactly like Eccles lowering his voice and trying to disguise his voice just the pattern of speech, the way it sounds. To me, it sounds like Eccles. But you know, I I, I don't know if that's because uh, I was. I had an idea in my head or, you know what I mean? If I'm already too right. clouded, my judgment is too clouded. I will say I have a very good ear, uh, but I, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, and, and it kind of goes also with what we were talking about with the questionnaires, the way he, it was like he was almost taunting them saying, Oh, the, you know, they, this, the perpetrator would have loved to hear the, the children mm-hmm. scream. He would have, you know, laughed yeah. and thought it would have given him great pleasure. Thought, yeah, thinks exactly. That way, but a psychopath, yeah. you know? And, um, yeah, that's, and those were questions suggested uh, by the FBI for detectives to ask. And, you know, skipping ahead a little bit, uh, you know, Bob Ruff doesn't talk about those. Oh, I mean, when or Echo's responses house? or anybody else's responses. And this is supposed to be an investigation. I will tell you, you know, some of these people really know how to, you know, you know, charm, charm people, you know, and even just having um, 
a, a, a short meeting with someone can make such a, a, a connection with someone, can, can, can make you so loyal to them so quickly. You know, this is why mm-hmm. politicians go around shaking people's hands at subway stops. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I've mm-hmm. met him. I've talked to him. I know him. I'm going to vote for him. Yeah. I'm on his side. You know what I'm saying? When you go to Echo's yeah. apartment and you take off your shoes and put up your feet, you are no longer impartial. You're no longer just trying Correct. to find the, the truth. You're on Team Echo. I mean, I can give you a million examples of times in, in my life, you know, that I've had, you know, small encounters with someone. And, I, oh, I like them. Oh, I, you know, well, I've met them for mm-hmm. five minutes. You know what I would say? But they were so charming right. or so whatever that they won me over. And I, it doesn't take much. We're, 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 we're social animals, right? Correct. I, I just think it's very unfair for Bob Ruff to present himself the way he does to lean on Jim Clemente, who says, I, well, I only just heard about this case from you. When he did it, he, when you go back and he did episodes on it a couple of years ago, he didn't just hear Correct. about this case from Bob Ruff. So he's already caught in a lie. So that should Correct. immediately uh, ring what? your BS meter. And secondly, <laughs> for me, the most important thing about Jim Clemente is that he was hired by the Paterno family and wrote a whole report absolving. This is someone, and why I think it's important is because Jim Clemente says he's a child abuse, sexual child abuse advocate, and that he wasn't a victim himself, and he's speaking for these kids, and he writes a report absolving Paterno. He still stands by that report to this day. Are you still there? You know, it still yeah. stands by that. It was paid by the Paterno family when it comes out that, that Paterno knew about Sandusky in 1976. So what kind of child right. abuse advocate are you? And secondly, right. you know, he, he's been wrong. I feel that he's very wrong about JonBenet Ramsey and the whole Burke Ramsey did it. And I thought that presentation was completely bogus and ridiculous. And I think his credentials are unbelievable to me. I don't think that I, I don't believe everything that he says that he's done in his life. I just don't think it's possible to be involved in every major case that's ever been. I just don't. Correct. I'm sorry. I'll come Correct. out and say that's and my own opinion. I, I, I think opinion. that he would still, I think if that were true, he would still be in, you know, the uh, supervisory level at the FBI and not a TV producer. Right, he gets fired from his own, you know, he, he got fired from his own production. So what's going on? That's not easy to do, you know, when you come, yeah, when you come as, you know, tied on as a producer, and you get fired from your, you know, the, your Unabomber mm-hmm. show before it airs. What what happened there? So right, uh, he's, he, you know, you might see you might see uh, me talking about Jim Clemente some more in the future, but. I, I oh, he's just good. not someone I trust. He's just not someone I trust, and I don't think anyone else should trust him. From the early mm-hmm. days where he lied, he just lied about, and I don't mind if you have a difference of opinion, but don't lie about the facts of the Amanda Knox case. I mean, he would just go right. on the lip TV talk show and lie and lie and lie and say, I'm going to debate the Amanda Knox non-supporters, and, and would just, and, and would bail out of it like it was nothing. Well, Taught them, insult them, 
say, I'll debate you, and then, and then back out. And so right. don't present the case as if it's something else with your own set of facts. Because if I could do that, right. boy, would that be fun. And, if, uh, and again, we get into if, if, the, if the original investigators are supposed to be objective and you're holding yourself out as being objective, then you need to be objective. If you're not, then you need to make it clear and disclose, I am an advocate for this person mm-hmm. because right. I think he's innocent. Oh, and Not to say, I'm, I'm going to do an objective an investigation. Right. And, and he was paid. Same thing. I'm not being paid by Amanda Knox. He said he wasn't. That's, I'll bet you he wasn't. I'll bet you, I'll bet you wherever he went, Amanda Knox's daddy was buying the plane tickets in first class and putting them up in first class hotels. Right. They may not have been paying him directly, but he was getting some benefit from them. He was not on his, if he wants to prove, show me your credit card statements. And show me that when you traveled to do these different things for Knox's case, show me that you paid out of pocket for 100% of everything. Right. Right. You know. I, I just didn't believe it then. They said, and, and he's sitting next to Steve Moore, uh, you, know, who's, you know, who kind of blew himself out as an expert. <laughs> um, not used so much <laughs> anymore. Um you know, it's just interesting that they're all ex-FBI, right? These people who are experts, they're never current mm-hmm. FBI people. I'm not saying that that, that means everything, but it's well, just notable. There, there is, in, a, in reality, if they were still FBI, they wouldn't be allowed to do it. Right. Because the right. FBI is a law enforcement agency, and to be able to do anything outside of, of federal law, um, you would have to get permission from the FBI to be involved. And the FBI is more likely than not not going to let you do that because if you get your ass handed to you in a court, it's going to damage your career and it's going to damage the FBI. Right. So, um, and he may he may very well have decided to quit the FBI because he had a more lucrative possibility of producing criminal minds. Right. Right. <laughs> Which That's I lost respect right for. In. Yeah, it pays very well. So, you know, I, I know that world. I grew up in it. You know, I, it pays very well. It, it, and and, I, and, and um, it pays very well. It's, it's much more glad and it's, it's very seductive. And mm-hmm. also, there's not much competition among these experts. Like, we could probably name off these experts that make the rounds that appear on these shows, like, with one or two mm-hmm. hands, right? Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah, I mean, there's not, like, a lot of competition. You really – and you get and you get a lot of attention and a lot of love, and there's a lot of money in it, too. Because Correct. These cases are interesting cases, so. And sometimes it's sometimes I think also though it's the they have come to some epiphany of being against the death penalty. 
And so they'll do some things. They, some things can be lucrative. They can make a lot of money, but they'll also do some things pro bono if there's no money to be had because they oppose the death penalty. Now, no, uh, um, Michael, go ahead. Michael had a question. Do you want to go ahead and ask it, Michael? Yeah, I can go ahead and ask. So basically, like I said, I mean, at this point, we're throwing her outline out the window, and I'm not complaining. <laughs> you guys, but my question is this. Uh, at the end of the investigation discovery, like I said, uh, the original trial lawyer for uh, Miss Kelly, and once again, uh, his mm-hmm. name is uh, uh, escaping me. Dan Stidham. Uh, Dan Stidham. He was being interviewed, and he said something about an autopsy on all three boys where they swabbed uh, their penises or peni. I, I don't know what the multiple is. Anyway, um, they swabbed all three, and they said that they got a hit. It wasn't enough to make a full profile, I believe is the word they used, but it's, he said or they said that all three of the West Memphis Three – and uh, Terry Hobbs could not have matched it. So that's where he came in with his theory that it was basically, and I'll tell you this, Lisa, right now. His theory, his working theory is because it was near a truck stop, it was a serial killer who traveled the traveled the country. Anyway, with that being said, okay. have you guys heard about the swab or what have you? Because I know you were talking about something, Lisa, that okay. the – it was only one or something. Let me, yeah. Let me let me just say here, um, as far as my personal opinion, I would not believe anything Dan Stidham says, even if his tongue came Take notarized by Judge Judy herself. I need the. We need to have a shirt. We need to. We need to put that on a shirt. Uh, well, I stole that from Judge Marilyn Million. <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, so, but no, um, Dan Stidham is not above misrepresenting the facts to serve his ends of painting Jesse Miss Kelly as wrongfully convicted false confessor. Mm-hmm. Okay. And also proving Eccles and Baldwin wrongfully convicted. I mean, mm-hmm. the whole problem with Dan Stidham is he lost his objectivity. Mm-hmm. Before the trial even started, and so he ceased representing his clients' interests and mm-hmm. began trying to represent Eccles and Baldwin's interests ah. at the expense of his client. Okay. So if he says that there's an unknown partial profile mm-hmm. on any of the evidence, mm-hmm. I I want to see those results. Because okay. he would mis he would misrepresent them, I don't think he would have any any qualms because he's got the report and he's not going to share it with anybody, and we're supposed to just believe what he says. Right. There were right. swabs done, and there were um, I think on only one from Steve. And Roberta, mm-hmm. I, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, there was a partial profile that actually didn't exclude Chris, Michael, Steve, Eccles, Baldwin, or Miss Kelly. 
Mm-hmm. They had enough that it was they knew it was male, and they had mm-hmm. enough that they had alleles mm-hmm. that are shared among all of them. Okay. Um, it's a partial profile, not mm-hmm. a full profile. Yeah, and he definitely exclu- did but it doesn't exclude anybody. It doesn't exclude okay. the victims, and it doesn't exclude any of the three. And this is one of the reasons. Jumping ahead past the appeal and post-conviction, which weren't successful, um, Mm -hmm. and the DNA testing results, is that they had hearings on their motions for new trial set to begin in December, Mm -hmm. at which time the burden was on them to present their allegedly exculpatory evidence. They -hmm. were doing DNA testing up until July. Mm Mm-hmm. And then sometime in July, Eccles had a new attorney come in who was tight with Dustin McDaniel, who went to Dustin McDaniel and said, hey, how about if we do an Alfred plea? Okay. Uh, You guys can maintain the conviction. You let our guys out of jail, and we'll call it a day. And see, I think that was the answer to my second question, because earlier – uh, Roberta, and I've heard you say this as well, that uh, the West Memphis Three brought the Alfred plea to the uh, to the state of Arkansas. So my Correct. question then is when uh, – and he said this multiple times uh, – when Baldwin says, I didn't want to fucking take the, take the Alfred plea. I wanted to say, fuck them. I'm going to fight this shit. Is that because he didn't – because it was brought to him by – basically, he's saying that he did it for Damien. He only accepted it for Damien. He said that – but why would he say something like that if he was in the loop the whole time is my point, if he knew about it? That, or was it just uh, – That is the great. propaganda. That's the propaganda. It makes Baldwin look like the hero who saved Eccles' life, and we've talked about this, Michael. Mm -hmm. Eccles was not in any danger of being executed prior to April of 2017. Right. And even then, if they hadn't gotten out in 2011, he likely would still be in federal habeas. Mm -hmm. So he was not in any danger of being executed by the state of Arkansas. Right. Right, I remember we've definitely talked about that, is that they had a and long way to go. The other the other problem with the way they portray the Alfred plea is that this is something that their attorneys came up with and approached the state of Arkansas. And this no, is they, something their they, attorneys... They put it out like the state of Arkansas. They put it out like the state no, of Arkansas. No, and that's a total... That is a complete lie. And Patrick Banka has gave interviews that said he's the one that came up with the Alfred plea. Now, you got to ask yourself, and again, this is a situation in which having zero idea about the legal system mm-hmm. um, serves, you know, doesn't serve you very well. Right. If you have a slam dunk conviction reversal in your hands, Mm -hmm. why would you go to the state and ask them for a plea 
that gets you out of jail and leaves your conviction intact. Well, I will say Why? this, and it struck me as odd when he said it because it sounds like it sounds like somebody making an excuse. But Baldwin, and I, t- I, I remember I sent you the picture and said, "Hey, Jason's out here looking pretty rough," because they interviewed him and he was actually on camera. But uh, Baldwin said something to the effect of. I also took the deal because I didn't want to take the risk of potentially jurors having some sort of bias and screwing us over again. That sounds like an excuse to me. I will it say is, that it's is putting one of the, the first times I've heard that that I'm like, you motherfucker, I'd be like, uh, fuck y'all, I'm gonna fucking prove my innocence. You know what I'm saying? But exactly, I mean, I've never been. In and that again. And again, Michael, they're they're consistently to um, try to minimize the impact of the Alfred pleas and what they really mean. They're always saying, but a new trial would have taken years. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been in prison 18 years. Well, yeah, your conviction's going to be vacated. Honestly. Hell, your conviction's vacated. You can probably get on out on bail. Curtis Flowers mm-hmm. did. Very true. <sighs> Uh, you know, that, oh, yeah, there's definitely yes. some statements. Sorry, Roberta. <laughs> I, I Sorry, go Michael ahead, Roberta. A, Michael makes a great point, and what she's saying is, where is their anger? Where is their anger? Where is their anger at being falsely convicted? I've been looking well, for this anger. It has got to disappear. I will agree. Well, <laughs> you know, but actually, I what they're doing. Roberta, what they're doing is more diabolical. They are making these statements and portraying themselves as victims. And then yeah. their minions out there in the Internet world are harassing Scott Ellington and harassing the attorney general and harassing the judges and harassing anybody mm-hmm. that they can harass to try and get their way. And they're keeping clean hands. Yeah, so, it, I, I don't know if you've seen the the free Meek Mill uh, documentary. Oh my God! Yes, I have. That poor prosecutor in Philadelphia who's black herself. Oh, oh my God. goodness! Yes, I saw that. <laughs> well, rightfully, I mean, I, right. it's just I'm really afraid for trust for 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 fair prosecutors, not just tough prosecutors, but for fair prosecutors now, because I yeah. feel like that, that that is what's coming. If you don't see the wind, the wind uh, coming for that tide coming to punish prosecutors who don't rule in the way that this wrongful conviction movement wants them to rule, and this kind of Correct. online pitchforky campaign, it is very frightening. And what Linda Fairstein, and I encourage everyone who's listening to this to, to read Linda Fairstein's complaint and to look into what happened, really happened in the Central Park Five Gate, and what she went through was absolutely heartbreaking, unfair. And the fact that she's only asking for $75,000 for what mm-hmm. she went through is absurd, absurd. There is no money to make up for she was, you know, one of the original women who the reason we can prosecute sex crimes the way we do in New York is yeah. because of her. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, 
And I'm very disappointed, Lisa, to hear you discount Echoes dying from bad teeth and bad eyesight. Now, that was a very serious affliction he had. And had he not taken the Alfred plea, he may have died from bad teeth and bad so, eyesight. So, so I, one, I, thing I want, one thing I want to ask you guys uh, about is in Arkansas. So I can honestly remember the day that the Alfred plea happened because I remember I was driving uh, for a company that delivered medical supplies for the VA. So I'd listen to the – uh, radio all day, and all of a sudden, they just literally the news broke in and was like, "Hey, by the way, the West Memphis three are out. Here's why, et cetera, et cetera." But even the news reported it as Arkansas, the state of Arkansas, and Dustin McDaniel reached out and gave them this plea. So, do you think that may be part of the reason why there is this narrative out there that uh, maybe there was some inf- misinformation when it was initially reported and nobody? Bothered to check up on it, or because no, I vividly I, that that's what they said no, originally. That's what it's called. I Do no, I, I think it's been deliberately. I think it's being deliberately misreported. Just just as it's being deliberately misreported that um, they were going to get a new trial and they were going to be acquitted at a retrial. That's you know that's they hadn't won new trials. And based yeah. on the DNA evidence that they had, they were not likely to win new trials because the DNA evidence that they had was not conclusive. Mm-hmm. Much of the evidence did not return any DNA. Mm-hmm. So you've got a whole universe of evidence that is not really an exclusion. Right. And that and is due to the conditions the of the – and there are reports. I mean, that's the thing, too, that makes me angry with Bob Russ. He claims to have met with Ellington. He claims Ellington says he has the 2007 reports. He's obviously in bed with the Eccles defense team because Dominie Hoffman is a producer – and he talked to Rachel Geyser right off the bat. So why doesn't he get the results of the DNA testing done by the defense in 2011? Mm-hmm. And tell us, what were those results? Okay. Because the only DNA results he's talked about are the 2007 results, which were mitochondrial DNA from two hairs. So, okay. I mean, no, the Alfred plea, they, and uh, again, legal background that I have, if you have a slam dunk case, you don't go to the other side and settle. Well, I mean, that's common sense, honestly. I, I, I'll, I'll be 100% honest with you. That's common sense for me, yeah. It, it, once again, just like the whole situation I brought up with what uh, – what, Baldwin said. Baldwin said that about uh, about uh, he was worried about possibly getting screwed over again, bro. It, it, at this point, there is no freaking way you could be screwed over. There, that case, if the trial happened again, would be so closely picked apart Michael, by the media that there's no way that they Michael, could have been screwed over. 
if there was something inculpatory in those 2011 DNA results, then there would be no chance of an acquittal if you did get a new trial. And Mm -hmm. if you went to the hearings in December, those inculpatory results would become public record. Mm -hmm. And all it would take is a an one DNA profile that doesn't exclude Eccles, one DNA or, or one DNA profile that doesn't exclude Baldwin, or one DNA profile that doesn't exclude Miss Kelly. And then you've got the fact that Miss Kelly was continuing to confess to people. So uh-huh. they could have had people lined up from twenty ten who Miss Kelly confessed to. Uh-huh. Ready to come in and testify to refute the allegations that Miss Kelly's confession was false. Okay. Okay. Um, like you know, said, there are a lot of things, and uh, that uh, again, the even if the state approached them for an Alfred plea when they're going to win new trials, uh-huh. why would you not why tell the, the, the state? To see what happens after the hearings. Why the hell not tell the shit state honestly to shove it? I'm about to prove my innocence, honestly. If exactly. You that, then, like I said, if, if they – let's just assume they got no trials. It would literally make no sense because can you think of a case that would be so picked apart and so closely scrutinized as what that second trial would have been or trials would have been? Well, in my opinion, the second trials, the state would have had an opportunity to test evidence not tested by the defense and would have had better testing methods that might have actually ended up being inculpatory and not mm-hmm. exculpatory. exculpatory. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. I mean, definitely, like I said, it just it, – it, it, that statement by Baldwin was the first time I sat there and went, bro, that makes no freaking sense to me, honestly. Like, why would you be worried about getting screwed over? It, it literally makes no sense to me because it would be almost impossible for them to screw you over. But, I mean, that's just right. my thought is that there, there would literally be no freaking way. Yeah, I mean, and also, I mean, it's a really good point, Michael, in that, that, and I understand that the, that press conference was put on by the defense when they took the Alfred plea, but they were mm-hmm. literally applauding Baldwin and, and mm-hmm. rustling his shoulders and, yeah, and, and selling to him. the public, like, mm-hmm. right, and, and yeah. it was a whole performance. Uh, and, uh, you know, without one critical question asked by the media. Now, I don't blame the defense team. They're paid to make them look innocent. They're paid to put on that kind of show. Fine. Mm-hmm. But not for the press to not ask one critical uh, question or difficult question. Uh-huh. And, when, and when Eccles was asked, was it difficult for you to take the plea? How long did you think about it? Not very long. And that just sort of like... You know, uh-huh. anyone with any common sense can say, oh, that. you're going to plead guilty to killing three kids? This goes down as Where's a legal guilty. You don't have to, you know, legal guilty. You can right. go on probation, be known as a child, triple child killer. All around, you know, right. your town, he moved to Salem, small town. He didn't mind having that label on him. 
And, and mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 and knowing that that if you really are falsely convicted, knowing that you you're pleading to something you didn't do, that's no kind of. So either you have no conscience. You have no self-esteem. What's wrong, you know, or you're incredibly guilty. Now, I think it's to the latter. Fair, to be fair, though, Roberta, I will say this. Honestly, and minus Miss Kelly just being the knucklehead that he is and still getting continuing to get in fucking trouble, and that just amazes me. But Baldwin and uh, Eccles, has it really hurt him? I mean, they're still making a hell of a living, more than I'm making, I can guarantee you. It, like, it really hasn't hurt them. Socially, a lot of people still uh, think that do think that they're innocent. Has them still technically have been, you know, or not even technically, for them still being convicted murderers, they've got an easier life than OJ. And let's be honest, OJ was never convicted. As much as we all know we good, did good it, point. OJ was good never point. convicted. Good point. That's right. a fair point. That's a fair point. Right. I, there's a really great. Uh, there's a really great essay now. I think it's now, of course, offline, like every other piece of. Uh, but I think uh, look at William Ramsey's Facebook page. He might have it by an ex-convict who wrote about them taking. They had the best legal experts, the best appell- appellate lawyers. They had, you know, million-dollar team to plead their to, – to make a fair um, – go to trial for them. To get a, and, and looking like they'd get a new trial, possibly. Possibly. They'd sneak that DNA evidence and misrepresent and maybe get a new trial. Possibly that might have happened, you know? And then instead they chose to plead, plead guilty. And this ex-convict writes this, this piece saying, I knew when they had no trouble pleading guilty – and I watched people in prison who were falsely convicted, and their mindset was on nothing but exonerating mm-hmm. themselves. And the fact that they have done mm-hmm. nothing is very telling, and that they're so coy with who who else could have done right. it. And isn't it and isn't it so showbiz of of Dan Stidham to say it's some nameless, faceless serial killer truck driver that that mm-hmm. never killed kids in this manner again? Just driving off off the road, mm-hmm. his, you know. Isn't isn't that convenient for him to pick that? That's person? a hell of a point. Isn't it convenient to tell these stories now? And um, right, you know, easy for him to be on this side. I I don't know. Man. You can say anything you want in an interview. In a courtroom, it's very different. There are very different mm-hmm. rules rules of perjury, and I don't think and people, even the most enthusiastic. Uh, People who are into true crime never set foot in the courtroom. Never take a day mm-hmm. off and go into a courtroom and check out what's going on. And I really encourage people to do that and to see. Uh, I, I think I when I went to the next team trial, I was so shocked. Uh, the the trial, the first day wow. of the trial was so busy that we were all in the overflow room, and I was like, I think twenty second in line, and they didn't let me in the mm-hmm. courtroom. I was like the second person in the overflow room. The projectors, this is New York, Manhattan, court, a Brooklyn courtroom, you know. The projectors were so poor. You know, the prosecution was so overworked and tired. And they're up against mm-hmm. million-dollar defense teams. I mean, it's really, we think of it the opposite way. Like the defense is always the underdog up against the Goliath, the government, you know. You but know, it, I don't. You know, it, I mean, did I have that right or did I reverse I that? Don't wanna, but, you know I don't want to. I don't want to. 
bury the lead of what you just said, though, Miss Glass, because what you literally just said literally resonated with me. They had a freaking all-star team, and they still chose to take something as easy as that. Dang, that kind of resonated with me a little bit. I had never thought about Mm -hmm. it. Like sat there and thought about that, but they had a freaking all-star team, and they still yeah. decided to take something where they pled guilty. Damn. Right. And okay. Peter okay. Jackson okay. Like, what, and Fran Walsh. Yeah. Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh poured a lot of money into the defense of Eccles for Eccles. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Baldwin and, and Miss Kelly got the benefit of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Damn. Eccles was a death sentence. Right. And so he gets a heightened scrutiny, and they were able to kind of dovetail off of that. Mm-hmm. But, again, why would they come up with the Alfred plea? The problem, the biggest problem, and the person that I really despise the most in all this is Scott Ellington. And I don't understand how he did not see that as a sign of weakness. And say, well, let's revisit this after the hearing. If Judge Laser had granted new trials, they could have offered he could have offered him the Alfred plea then. That's a good point. You know? Um, I think at that so, point, though, to be 100% honest, and even to go back to Roberta's point, if, at this point, honestly, I think the state legitimately just kind of wanted to be done with it. Because think about how well, much yeah. I was literally beat the hell up. Oh, for although I, I have to say I am a little angry at Brent Davis. If Brent Davis had still been on the case, he would have told them to shove the Alfred please. Yeah. And he would have looked forward to going to the hearings because he would have known they were going to lose. If they didn't get new trials at those hearings, if Judge Lazio denied the motions for new trial after those hearings, they were dead in the water. And again, if there was an inculpatory DNA result or multiple inculpatory results, they were dead in the water. And it would be public record. So Alfred plea was a face-saving measure, but it wasn't a face-saving measure for the state. It was a face-saving measure for the defense. I, I, I mean, you know, I think you have to also have to take in the rabidness of the West Memphis Three fans, the amount of money, and we don't know what went on behind the scenes. And, mm-hmm. and I just know, I mean, on such a, I mean, you know, I have such a small podcast, and I just know on such a minor level how difficult it is to hold this position. How, for, you know, there's not a day goes by when, you know, I don't get some really insulting comments. And, I don't mm-hmm. want, and I'm not talking about an argument that's frustrating. I'm just talking about straight up insults. You're the dumbest person in Correct. the world. And it's, it's, 
you have to be tough to have this position. And we're social human as human beings, we're social creatures. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted. <clears throat> and by taking this position, you're saying, you know, I, you know, you kind of reject all that. Well, you know, I've, I've always seen those type of comments as an example of you don't have a valid, logical, reasonable argument. You likely don't have the ability to engage in a reasonable, valid, logical discussion. And so you're going to result to ad, you're going to resort to ad hominem, you know, attack. And that actually yeah, diminishes your position and strengthens yeah, mine. It, it just doesn't feel good day to day, year after year. No. I mean, you know, it just doesn't it feel does, good. It, it's not, it's not a it, fun, fun position it, to take in life. No. It isn't. I'm more, I am more of a hermit. <laughs> I'm more of a loner. I'm going that way. So, <laughs> you know, if, if I were an animal, I would probably be a tiger. I would not be a horse or a dog. Would you be owned by Joe Exotic? No. (laughs) If I was owned by Joe Exotic, I'd eat that motherfucker in a second. Okay? Uh, I'd eat Jeffrey Lowe, too. I'd eat Carol Baskin. Hold on. She just hit on something. Yeah, no. honestly, though, people were like, you're going to love this. Everyone's guilty of this thing. And then, and then at the end, it's like they didn't prosecute enough. They didn't do it well enough. He went down. He didn't really do that much compared to everybody else. It's just like one big excuse for Joe Exotic. Me, me and, and, me and Lisa. Gay pedophile looks like, not that gay is a bad thing, but the fact that he was right. dating these way underage kids. And, you know, mm-hmm. indulging their drug habits and, and you know. Well, well me and Lisa uh, both. You know, thing, it, it'd be a pedophile, in my opinion, the a pedophile thing, of sorts. Mm, yeah. The, you know, that was the most disturbing. I wasn't. It, that was the most disturbing part is neither of the husbands was actually gay. And I wonder if the current one was actually gay or whether he's out screwing all the girls at the park. I've got I've got money that he isn't either. I, I, I'm just saying I've got money that he isn't either. Mm-hmm. But I have to ask Roberta now that I know that you that you have watched. Uh, do you think Carol's guilty? Me and Lisa have gone back and forth on this. Do you think Carol killed her husband? I don't know. I you know I've gotten to the point where I I just don't I I just don't know. I don't know enough about it. I haven't looked into it, and I'm not ready to believe what's presented to me. I think it's very interesting. What I thought was very interesting is that she did give some money to the family. And I found that just she very did. interesting because usually these greedy bitches, excuse my language, you know, mm-hmm. will take everything. And they want all the, but she's paying them not, well, they say not enough, fine. Not what they I thought they didn't right. get anything. But she did give them something. So I thought that that mm-hmm. was interesting. Huh. And it made me think that maybe that maybe we weren't seeing the whole story there with the car- and I know I've read Carol Baskin's defense of herself. I don't know what's going on. I with any of these tiger people. I have cats, as I said before. I love my cats. I feel that's enough. I don't need to keep wild animals. I don't yeah, understand no. why anyone would need to keep wild animals and even start some kind of faux animal rescue. You know, if she's really rescuing yeah. these things legitimately now. That's great work. Good for her. 
I don't know what happened with her husband, and there's just not enough information. I don't oh, know. No, Liz, right. It, it certainly Liz, looks shady on a documentary, but as I've seen many times before, they can paint anything to make and you know make it look paradise that way. lost. Obviously, the better story. Right. On so I, very, I mean, very, you're right about very, that. I never knew that she actually I'm gave very them a little cautious bit about believing what I see. You know, or or being swayed, being persuaded totally by a documentary without looking into it. You know, I didn't think right. she had given them anything, so I'm learning something right now. But uh, no, well, I can tell you, she probably she had to be very careful because once he was declared dead, they could have challenged. Her power of attorney, the will. I mean, they could have tied her ass up in court mm-hmm. and appoint, gotten a receiver appointed to to oversee everything. So right. she had to be very careful. Okay. Okay. You know, she gave them something. Like I said. People, what do they want with that small amount of money? Believe me, they want mm-hmm. that small amount of money with really, really good mm-hmm. people. But you're right. That is oh, a good yeah. point, Lisa. That's a good point. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I don't all right, well, we're I'm coming up. We're I'm coming up on ten. Documentary. Okay, <laughs> I, I, Lisa, I think I, I think I'm going to. Uh, uh, this is the end, right? The end of the show. Yeah, and I want to yeah. thank you so much. And actually, why don't we do this? Why don't you and Meredith and I get together? We'll record something on a Saturday or Sunday, where okay, we talk about good. the two documentaries. Oh, absolutely. I want to get back in here and talk some more about this stuff. Cause that every we time, didn't like talk said, about really tonight. Every we, time, we touched on points that, here and there. Every time we do one of these, I learn something new. Like, uh, you know, I learned quite a bit tonight about different things. Uh, you guys, <laughs> once again, we went over the Alfred play again, and I learned even more about it. So, I mean, the, the, it's definitely like if <laughs> – I'm slowly starting to kind of go the other way. I mean, there's still things that bother me about the whole situation, but slowly but surely I'm going back to my pre-Paradise Lost thoughts. Mm-hmm. So, but thank you Lisa? so much for joining us, and I hope you're right. feeling better. Um, like thank I said, you, you and I and Meredith will record something. I know the live the live format is difficult because you are an hour ahead of me. Yeah, she's a tough one to to, to nail down, but let's hopefully mm-hmm. the two of us together will we'll get it done. Thank you, Lisa. All right, well, thank you again. Feel better soon. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Roberta. Have a great night. All right. Man, I tell you what, once again, same situation as before, you know, as what I said before she hopped off. I do enjoy these conversations because legitimately I'm one of the people that I'm not closed off to the fact that they could be guilty. I I, I do mm-hmm. lean that they aren't just because of some of the stuff I've seen, and I still don't necessarily have – I still have questions about how it was handled right. and things like that. Right. But, you know, even Roberta hit me with that. That's a damn good point. You know, these motherfuckers were under some fucking pressure. Excuse my language, but these motherfuckers were under some pressure to bring some shit in too. Right. So you got well, to take that into consideration as well. That's another thing, Michael, that, you know, people 
say they were under pressure, they just had to solve it, anybody would do. But can you really believe that any police agency would deliberately pull three innocent people off the street and put them in prison for life, put one on death row for murders that they know these people did not con- commit. What I'm saying, what I'm saying, I'm not because saying that's that. what I'm actually that's what Baldwin. I'm arguing that's what Baldwin portrays it as. Very. That's true, what Eccles portrays it as. My thought is maybe some of the reasons why some of these things look a little bit crazy is because hey, we need to get this done. These are the people. These are you know these are the people that the evidence is pointing towards. But maybe that's mm-hmm. why it's looking a little funky is because they were like, we got to get this shit done. Why the hell are you fucking? We know you did it. Why the fuck are you slowing us down? You know type of situation. I mean, we will never probably know a hundred percent why. You know, I, I asked obviously about the leading questions thing. That that that's mm-hmm. probably something with a simple answer. But you know, <clears throat> without us talking to him and assuming he, that we you can know one hundred percent believe him, but yeah, you know, I could I could send Miss Kelly's tapes. To Commander Gurnan, and he could listen to him, but I bet you he's heard about the case. He's, his opinion would be colored, and so he would be on, you know, more likely to criticize the way it was done mm-hmm. rather than look at the totality of the You got to look at the totality of the circumstances. That Absolutely. was a popular word on the broadcast or a popular concept. On the broadcast of the podcast that that spawned the Oxygen series, but he never looked at the totality of the circumstances. And a lot of people don't look at the totality of the circumstances. You Not don't look at, at at Miss Kelly's IQ, the way Miss Kelly watch Miss Kelly's interviews. Look at the way he talks. Not to mention, Lisa, that I will say you made a damn good point when you said a lot of us put today's today's uh, circumstances back in 1993. And you honestly, while it is probably human nature to do so, you absolutely cannot do that because it was a different world in criminal investigation back then. Now, with that being Correct. said, I would also like to hear more about this gentleman in the ice cream truck, just for the simple fact being, it strikes me as odd that he did say the words, maybe I blacked okay. out them kids up. You know, All that right. bothers me. I'm gonna I'm gonna go in I'm gonna go into Chris Morgan for you real quick. Mm-hmm. Yes, Chris Morgan was born and raised in West Memphis. He was driving an ice cream truck. He may have even worked at the same company as Terry. I'm not 100% sure at this stage. I know he said he had uh, some sort he, of contact with Steve, I think. Right. I think he knew Steve's family. Right. Or he right. knew somebody who was a friend of Steve's family, Bobby D'Angelo. Anyway, mm-hmm. however, on May 5th, Chris Morgan lived in Memphis. And he and a bunch of friends spent the day in Memphis. 
he actually worked at a car wash. I did see. Time. I did see the alibi where he was. Uh, okay. He was, diving, he was cliff diving. They were correct. at the bluffs. They were at the bluffs all day. Did they check and out? And then the alibi? they went out. They talked to the girls that were with them, or one of the okay. girls that was with them. Her name was Wendy something. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, they they were at the bluffs all day, and then they went to a nightclub that night in Memphis. Right. So mm-hmm. at the time of the murders, Chris Morgan was, was either nightclub. leaving the bluffs or getting ready and going to the nightclub. They did talk okay. to, I think her name was Wendy Hammond. And see that, and she confirmed Chris Morgan's alibi. And you know, this is another thing. Well, this is, but that's the thing. Why is it okay to say, well, Eccles had an alibi because the Sanders sister, Sanders sisters say he was there, and yet it's not okay to talk to somebody who was with Chris Morgan, have her confirm that. And mm-hmm. leave it alone and eliminate Absolutely, it. Absolutely, I agree. Absolutely, okay? I agree. Now, the thing about Eccles' quote-unquote alibi is that he did not tell the police about the Sanders part of the alibi. The police found mm-hmm. out about the Sanders part of the alibi when a witness list came out. That's also when they found out about the phone call part of the alibi. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, and another thing that nobody ever says anything about is that Pam Eccles was going around. We were here Wednesday night. Y'all don't forget, we were here Wednesday night. We came by and Damien was with us. Damien, what? Yes. Huh. But Pam doesn't the reason Jennifer Bearden, it, right? the reason Jennifer Bearden wasn't called to testify, is because she contradicted what Eccles and Baldwin were saying about their alibis. Because she huh. claimed to be talking to them while they were at Baldwin's, when they claimed they were over at Uncle Hubert's house. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So again, there are there are many reasons to doubt the alibis put forth by Eccles and Baldwin, who Baldwin didn't really put it forth much of an alibi at all. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, but you know, again, it's that hypocrisy. What were they supposed to do? They talked to one of the people that was with Chris Morgan. What were they supposed to do? Track down everybody that he named as being with him? Well, one of the guys with him in California was also with them. And he corroborated what Chris Morgan was saying. And again, the trip to California was not something that they just did after the, you know, that suddenly they suddenly left town after the murders. It was planned. They were taking a car to, somebody's boyfriend who was a Marine at Oceanside. 
In my defense, yet again, I would like to point out that is how it was portrayed to me in the movie, in the documentary that you had me watch. And number two, uh, it um, it uh, said that he moved suddenly, like they moved out there. They weren't no, going out there for a trip. He, no, he went out there to take the car. He was staying out there for a while. Maybe he was contemplating a move out there. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a kid. 18, 19, maybe 20 years old, working at a car wash in Memphis, probably dealing drugs. I mean, the kids probably are trying to insane. probably trying to determine who he was going to be in the world. Yeah, I mean, the kids. So are yeah, maybe he did want to move. That dumb shit. But I mean, yes, your point. Your point did make me understand. Uh, again, why? You know, why is it? Again, but why is it wrong? They make they make an innocuous situation appear suspicious. Well, I by mean, by leaving I, out facts and details. Out, he doesn't help out with the whole napkin over the fucking over the fucking. But video again, you know what thing. though. His, as I told you on Facebook Messenger, his quote confession is a true coerced confession. He was at the police station like 17 something hours over two days. Yeah, but I mean, he denied it. Wait, wait, wait. He denied it, and they told him, You did it. We know you did it. He denied it, and they told him he failed a polygraph. He denied it, and they kept hammering at him. And so finally he said, okay, maybe I did it, and I just don't remember. Right, right. Well, definitely, so I want to do another If the one, West maybe. Memphis PD were wrong in the way they questioned Jesse, then how in the hell... Wouldn't the Oceanside PD be wrong in how they question Chris Morgan? And how is it that Chris Morgan's confession is not an obviously false confession when Jesse's is allegedly so obviously false, when Jesse's was half the time in a single day? And the coercive tactics weren't really employed with Jesse. If, unless you call getting him a burger and a drink coercive. I think now, I, I think know that I think after the, the fact... The biggest problem with me. Yeah, but again, I, I promise you, I, because I, I deal with client intake sometimes. And uh-huh. I promise you, sometimes there are people, if you give them an open-ended question... Or rather, if you give them a yes or no question, they're mm-hmm. not capable of answering it yes or no. So you have to kind of try to keep them on track. I have had clients, I have asked the question, um, what time did the accident happen? Mm-hmm. Hey, perfect and example. It's, it's a simple answer. <laughs> it's a simple answer, One thirty p.m., 
that I get, well, I got up that morning and I wasn't feeling very good, but I had to take my kid to school. So I got my kid dressed and he didn't want to eat his breakfast. And they start, and I, I've literally, they go on the spiel. And they and don't answer. Even the when they finish, they never answered the question. So, and I know we, we I know I got to get to bed and everything. And, and we're, I'm sure you do we're in overtime, and I'm sorry, I know you, you said. But you wanted to know, so... Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Real quick, two seconds. Just a quick response, though. There's a difference okay. to me well, in my mindset between what you just gave as an example and what time did it happen. Well, about noon. Are you sure it was noon, or was it maybe a little bit darker? Oh, well, maybe it was again, around four. You know, that Something, one kind of wait, 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 Michael, let me, let me, let me answer. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, and any detective who doesn't acknowledge this is also lying through his teeth. Mm-hmm. There are instances where people who have committed a crime will try to either feel out the investigators by giving them information they know isn't true mm-hmm. or will try to give themselves an out by giving deliberately false information. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what I believe Miss Kelly was doing was he felt guilty. He had a conscience. Mm-hmm. And so he knew he had a solid alibi the morning of May 5th. Mm-hmm. So he tried to place the murders at the time when he had a solid alibi. Mm -hmm. It probably made a lot of sense to him, even though ultimately would have failed miserably. Mm -hmm. And also the detectives knew that those times weren't correct. So they were letting him know that's not right. It couldn't have happened at nine because the boys were in school. Okay. It couldn't happen at noon because the boys were in school. Mm -hmm. And Miss Kelly even says at one point, oh, the boys skipped school. Mm -hmm. He says, I I don't go to school. They skip, the kids skip school. The boys skip school. And Mm -hmm. we knew they didn't skip school. Right. So he's giving them deliberately false. Now, I realize that most people think somebody with Jesse's IQ cannot fabricate a story. To yeah. throw police off or for a for a conning purpose. But I promise you, he was maybe not book smart, but he was street smart. And he was mm-hmm. used to dealing with police, not only himself, but seeing his daddy do it. And probably his mama and every one of his siblings. Oh, wait, Daddy Dearest uh, from Paradise Lost was in trouble? Yes. Yes. Daddy Dearest was going to DUI school. Oh, shit. I at, did the not time know of, that. at the time of the murders. I did not know that. I'll be damned. So, you know, I, I again, I, there was an interview that was not taped. 
when they were looking at Miss Kelly as a potential witness. Course of that, that they started to get kind of a hinky feeling that he wasn't being forthcoming and that maybe he was somehow involved. Damn you, Lisa, you're making me think about different things that it brought up and I wanted to ask you about. And we're in overtime, damn it. We definitely have to do another episode on this, I'm just saying. <laughs> because they they raised an interesting question to me. Uh, the woman who uh, gave the name for Miss Kelly, uh, she went in there and apparently she said something to the effect of, well, I'll watch him or whatever, to the Marion police person. And they made a good point. Why the fuck did the Meridian police person say, uh, how about you just don't fucking interfere in an investigation? You're talking about Vicki Hutchison? Vicki, yes, Vicki. Why the fuck did they not tell her, uh, this is an investigation, you might want to back the okay. fuck off? Um, I, you know, I am really I, – I, I will have to watch the ID one. I'll send it to you. Because – let me tell you, okay, let me tell you real quickly how Vicki Hutchison entrenched herself in this case. Mm-hmm. She was at the Marion Police Department because she apparently worked at uh, a convenience store in Marion. Oh, okay. I thought she lived in Marion. I thought they said she lived in Marion. Uh, well, she was living in Marion, but she worked at a convenience store. There was a um, – quote, issue, unquote, with a credit card charge. Mm-hmm. She worked at a Roadrunner. Mm-hmm. I think it was Roadrunner. Hmm. Um, I'll have to look up the name. And um, she was called into the Marion Police Department to answer questions about that credit card issue. And all of this was She left out. brought Aaron with her. Aaron. At some point in the office, they were in Don mm -hmm. Bray's office. Mm -hmm. At some point, the radio said something about Chris, Michael, and Steve. Being Yet again, missing. all left out of the all left out of the documentary. Literally, Lisa, I can give and you the portrayal Aaron, of how it went down. <laughs> and Aaron said, "Those are my friends, and I know where they are." I'll be damned. And then this is completely different. Shortly thereafter, the bodies were discovered. And so Don Bray what was going to assist the West Memphis Police Department because he had a rapport with Vicky and Aaron. Because Vicky ended up, I think, being cleared on the credit card issue. Mm -hmm. So he had a rapport with Vicky and Aaron and you know, Aaron made this spontaneous statement in his presence. Mm -hmm. So he went to Vicky. You know, he got Vicky in to talk to Gary Gitchell, and Vicky actually went along with trying to find out more about Eccles, trying to see if he was involved. But it was a little Keystone Copish. I'll tell so you exactly. Whatever she's saying about it now, she's saying because she's had people attacking her for years, she and she wants to get out from under it. 
She was an interview, but here I'll give you beginning no. to end how this was brought, how this was portrayed in the show. Beginning to end, literally, Aaron walks in. Aaron is the mom, right? Aaron's the woman. No, Vicky's the mom. Aaron's the Vicky. child who was friends okay. with Miss Kelly, and this okay. is a potential connection. Miss Kelly is friends with Aaron. Babysits right. Aaron. Aaron is and friends with Chris, Michael, and Steve. When that's how they, Aaron used to live in West Memphis. That's how they brought it in. And literally, I'll send you the uh, the show. But literally, they portrayed it as she walked in the Marion Police Department, talked to the guy at the front desk. Literally, I'm playing the image in my head. That she talked to the guy at the front desk. Was like, "Yo, I know that Miss Kelly he watches my kids." Can I? Why don't I just go hang out with them and see what I can find out? And she got taken to the ritual in the middle of the uh, West Memphis or Marion or whatever the hell it was, and she was like, "Yo, I'm uncomfortable." And basically, that was pretty much the end of her part of it. But yeah, completely different than the story you just told me. And well, yeah, I mean, she knew Miss Kelly. She um, she had. She had been leaning on Miss Kelly. I don't know if there was anything uh, in, inappropriate going on between her and Miss Kelly. She bought no, an alcohol. I just think it's the Evan Williams bottle found under the overpass that was bought for for Miss Kelly on May fifth by Vicky Hutchinson. I just think, it's and she admitted as much to Gary Gitchell on the phone. The only reason why I asked you that question is. Because they portrayed her like a woman walking in on off the street, and if it was a woman walking well, in off the she, street, it would have been like back yeah. the off. This is an open investigation. Yeah. But if they knew her now, it makes sense why they were like, "Okay, you go do that." Yeah, and and that was you know yeah they were trying to get some help. Um, I don't I don't know at what stage that happened. Uh, I don't recall right now. It, it. I don't think it was in. I don't think it was in the first weeks. I think it was more, probably right around the end of May. I was about to say I when to they, say were they were starting to get were, a lot of. They were starting to get a lot of, of leads and tips that they needed to look at Eccles. See, and that's interesting because the way they made it sound, if I'm remembering correctly, the way made it sound was that she was the one who brought Miss Kelly and put Miss Kelly that he needed to be looked at and then that's when everything fell into place. No, that's there there's a lot of propaganda. Uh probably what you're thinking of is that there that she's the one that convinced Miss Kelly to go to the West Memphis PD and talk to the West Memphis PD on June third and um mm-hmm. try to get the reward. But in reality, the West Memphis PD went looking for Miss Kelly. Miss Kelly's daddy went and got Miss Kelly, and Miss uh-huh. Kelly's daddy sent his 17-year-old mentally retarded son alone with Mike Allen to the West Memphis Police Department and did not accompany his son to be what questioned the fuck, by daddy police. Dearest? Nor when the West Memphis Police Department wanted to give his 17-year-old mentally handicapped son on a polygraph examination. Miss Kelly Sr. signed the polygraph approval or or authorization, but then did not say, oh, wait a minute, let me go and be with my son. Well, what the hell? Because this is getting serious. 
Miss Kelly Senior's dad. And those is, are things. Uh, and Patty those are things here. that don't. They don't make it in. They make it look like Miss Kelly was a poor, retarded, innocent victim of the West Evil West Memphis Police Department when his father was not prevented. He absolutely from deserves looking out for him and chose not to. He absolutely deserves a lot of the blame for that shit. So. All right. Well, I anyway. know you gotta get you got an early meeting tomorrow, and I'm sorry for keeping you so late. Oh, you're fine. Not you're fine giving you knuckle. quick answers to your questions. You're fine. <laughs> so I, I, um, I enjoyed the one, especially about uh, about um, Vicky, because you literally painted a complete 180 of the story that they painted on ID. So well, that I, let me know I'm, everything I needed to know about that. Again, it's there's a, there's usually a lot more to the story, and then there's context. You're given these stories, right. and there's this amorphous. You're not quite sure when it happened, and you're not sh- mm-hmm. quite sure of sequence of events. Oh yeah, they they and suck at painting a timeline. That this is one of those cases where my somewhat encyclopedic memory has very rarely fails me. Right. <laughs> so and perhaps because I've I've written so many posts, you know, filling in the filling in the details. So all right, well let's let's wrap this one up before Blog Talk does it for us. Uh but we will have Meredith and Roberta on We'll record a bonus episode, uh, perhaps to put up on June 3rd. Works for me. For those who are interested. Thank you for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. If you like our show and want to know more, you can find us on Facebook. Go to our blog at clearandconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien L. Ann. Join us next week, Tuesday, May 12, 2020, at 8 o'clock p.m. Central for Episode 12, State of Texas versus Robert Allen Frada. In 1994, Farrah Frada was shot to death in her garage during a contentious divorce and custody battle with her soon-to-be ex-husband, Robert, a former Missouri City police officer. Frada's first conviction was vacated, and he was convicted after a retrial in 2009. We'll talk about the evidence implicating Frada and Ferris' murder, his first trial and direct appeal, the post-conviction claims that resulted in his retrial, and his subsequent conviction and death sentence. Until then, have a great week and stay safe. Good night. Thousand days, master you is luck of your sleep.